Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Rabbi Dan Lieberman and this is the second in our series on family feuds and for ribbles. Okay, so last time we started in the Torah and remained in the Torah. Not only did we just remain in the Torah, we, we remained in the book of Bereshit. Now, we could use various other arguments in the Torah. There's obviously very famous ones, mainly the, the Jewish people arguing with Moshe all the way through the desert over and over and over and over again. You know, as a rabbi, I know how he feels. You know, the people complaining about Moshe, complaining about the food, complaining about the water, complaining about the weather, you know, complaining about everything, right? Even, you know, now we're complaining about seats in shul for Yom Tov, we've got complaints about the kashras, we've got complaints about everything, you know, we know how it goes, right? There's, a, there's all that, there's also the very, obviously the very famous story of Korach uh, and his argument and his insurrection against Moshe, but... You know, that's been dealt with by many other people, greater and uh, in more depth than I would want to be able to even achieve. So I think we're going to leave the, the faribles of the Torah behind. And let's go and see some things which I think are, are in, in the general world, less investigated, so to speak. So the first one, and we can learn things from both of those as well. I'm going to bring two examples. Um, I know last time we had more than two examples, but we're going, we're going to have two, two stories, two situations, which I think are important to learn from, and each one has, has its own nuances and its own ideas. So the first one, the first one we're going to have a look at is Shaul Amelech and David Amelech, right? King Saul and King David, because that is an absolutely belting for Ribble. It's a really, really good one. So... The first thing starts, the, the, the argument between Shaul and David actually appears, the, 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 the basis for it arrives before David Amelech, before, before he's even a king, before he's even on the scene, before he's even mentioned in, uh, in the, book of, or the book of Samuel, before he even arrives in the Tanakh at all, David Amelech, the, 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 the basis, the seeds for this argument are, are found over here. So if you have a look... In the book of uh, Shmuel Aleph, 1st Samuel, chapter 15. And um, it's actually the Haftarah for Parashat Zachor. One of the most famous situations in, in, the, in, the, in the Tanakh. Shaul HaMelech is, is, is <coughs> commanded, like all of the Jewish people, to eliminate Amalek. The nation of Amalek is supposed to be eliminated, as it says, and which we read for Parashat Zachor, which is why we read this uh, this this uh, piece of the Tanakh for uh, the Haftarah. So Shaul Amalek has the he has the, the ability. He captures uh, Amalek. He, he battles against them. He kills many people, and he captures Agag, the king of Amalek, alive. Agag is going to come back to bite us later on, uh, and also he keeps some of the animals animals alive and there's a conversation between Shaul HaMelech and the prophet Samuel where Samuel says to Shaul listen 
Hashem has rejected you. He says like this, God has finished with you. You're not even going to be king anymore. He's rejected you as, as the king of Israel because you didn't listen to Hashem. You kept, you kept Agag, the king of Amalek, alive and you also kept um, the, uh, the, the animals. The animals, because Shaul wanted to bring the animals as korbanot, as offerings to Hashem, and when he was told not to, and therefore he'd been rejected by Hashem. This is the start of all the problems. Agag, uh, just as an aside, uh, appears, uh, his name appears later on in the Tanakh um, as the ancestor of a certain Haman um, in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, Haman Ha'agagi. Right, so Agag was the last remaining male of the, 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 the tribe of Amalek. They smuggled a woman into him into the, in the prison, and she became pregnant from him, and then Haman was born from that, and Amalek carried on. That was why Hashem was so upset with, with, um, with Shaul and rejected him as being the king. And of course, in, uh, in this, the, the end of Agag is also one of my favorites, and I've said this many times uh, in many Shiorim that you've probably heard me say before. But it's one of my uh, fa- favorite old English translations of what happened to Agag, um, because uh, Shaul, uh, not Shaul, uh, Shmuel, Prophet Samuel, uh, killed, he killed Agag, but uh, it says Vayishasef Shmuel et Agag, uh, and uh, the old English translations, and he cleft him in twain. Um, that's my favorite, my favorite tra- old English translation. He cleft him in twain. I think he, he split him down the middle. Vayishasef. Um, anyway, so that's that's the story over there. So Shaul is rejected by Hashem. He's rejected by Hashem, and he's he's, he's uh, Hashem doesn't want uh, want you to. Uh, he doesn't want him to be king anymore. So we carry on in in the the book of Shmuel. Hashem says he's rejected Shaul, and he goes to find what well, we need someone else in in in, in his place. Shaul, Amale, uh, Prophet Prophet Samuel, Shmuel, Anavi. He goes to go and find a new king, and of course, uh, we he goes to the house of Yishai, the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, and he goes to look at the sons of Jesse. And of course, we know the story. He goes to look for the youngest one, uh, who's not there. He's working as a shepherd in the field, and he anoints him as as the uh, as the as the king. Now. We go into the next the next chapter, chapter sixteen, and we see the re- effects of this problem. The Ruach Hashem Sarama im Shaul, the the spirit of Hashem left Shaul. King Saul lost the spirit of God. Right, and he had a spirit of melancholy. He was depressed. Shaul became depressed, and. When there's mental illness, then that's where you can have a problem. That's where problems can arise. So, Shaul is troubled by this evil spirit, by this spirit of melancholy, by this depression. So, what do they do? They say to him, "Well, we're going to give you, we're going to bring you someone to cheer you up, right? Who's we going to bring? Well, there's this guy from Bethlehem. He's a very nice boy. He looks a good-looking boy, and he plays the harp very well, and he sings very well, and he speaks very eloquently." Right, and his name is David, one of the sons of Jesse, a good guy, right, and fabulous. He shy. Jesse sends off his son David Amelech. David, not David Amelech yet, but David. He brings him up to uh, to uh, to Shaul, 
and he finds favor. He's a good guy, and he he, he plays the harp, and he he, he gets uh, Shaul's depression away. Meanwhile, the Philistines arrive. We know the story, right? The Philistines arrive, and they're going to cause some trouble. Now, Philistines being a, a troublesome nation of the of the time, and they have this guy. This is this is all the famous bits of the Tanakh, right? Chapter seventeen. There's a huge, great, big fella called Goliath who's got a big sword, and he comes and he blasphemes and he's cursing and, and carrying on. And you, we know the story, right? Shaul offers his daughter to whoever's going to kill this guy. David the Melech comes with a slingshot, flicks it, flicks him, and chops his head off. Right? We we know the story. So he kills him. Then people start singing stories about David. People start singing and they say that Saul has killed thousands and David has killed tens of thousands and Shaul is getting upset about David's popularity. David's now becoming popular. Right? Listen, he's the, he's the man, right? He's gone on, he's, he's, killed, he's literally slain the giant. He killed Goliath. He, he defended the, the, the honor of the Almighty. He stood up for the whole Jewish nation, chased away the Philistines, killed them all, did all these things. And amazing, right? And what's, what's, what's also a problem What's also a problem for Shaul is that the son, the son of Shaul, Yonatan, is David's best mate. So Shaul's son is David's mate. David is becoming popular and Shaul, he knows he's been rejected by Hashem. He's been warned by the prophet Samuel that he's been rejected by Hashem. And now he's wor worried about his position. He's worried. And then he tries, to, he tries to have him killed. And he tries to do all sorts of things. Now there's a, a very famous um, uh, there's a very famous idea um, in, in the story in chapter 18. So David returns from killing uh, Goliath, and everybody's singing and everybody's getting excited. And Shaul gets he gets completely angry and depressed, and he flings a spear at David, and he missed. And he tries again to get him with a spear, and he missed again. David dodges it a couple of times. Shaul is very, very afraid. He's afraid of David. He is depressed. He's, if you have a look, and, and there's many, there's, uh, there are many academic papers uh, looking into this. I was actually researching it today um, because I had looked at these, some of these papers when I, was, when I was in university, but there's many academic papers analyzing Shaul Amalek uh, to his psychological state. And uh, he certainly, certainly got depression. He certainly has uh, periods of mania as well. He, uh, most of these, most of these uh, uh, diagnosticians have diagnosed him with bipolar disorder type one. Um, so uh, severe mania and severe depression. He's very worried about David Amelech. He doesn't like him. His son thinks David Amelech is the best thing in the whole world. The people. The women are singing about David Amelech in the streets. He's famous. He's the hero. He killed a guy. He killed a giant. Shaul can't take it. <coughs> Shaul and Shaul tries to kill him over and over and over again. Shaul hunts him down, tries to get him with a spear again, and then we have this amazing story of the end and the last time that David and Shaul meet each other. And the people of Zif, this is chapter 23. The people of Zif betray David to Shaul. 
right? David is hiding somewhere in a cave in En Gedi. And Shaul chucks him down with, he's been betrayed by the people of Ziv. And Shaul sleeps the night in one of the caves and David sneaks in and he cuts Shaul's clothes with a knife. So as I send him a message, Shaul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Shaul doesn't buy it. Shaul returns to Ziv and then he goes again in the night and he steals Shaul's spear and his water jug. And he goes away and he leaves his spear in the floor, in the ground next to Shaul, as a message to him that, you know, listen, I, I could have killed you, but I didn't. So, at the end of chapter 24, they met back together. And an amazing, amazing situation, right? He says like this, David says to Shaul, he calls him my father. See, I've got the corner of your cloak in my hand. I've cut it off. Right? I've taken the I've chosen to take your coat. And I didn't kill you. There's no I haven't got any evil against you. I don't hate you. I haven't done anything. I'm not sinned against you. You're trying to kill me, says David. I'm not trying to kill you. I've had the opportunity to do it. Hashem should judge between you and me. Hashem will, Hashem will, will, will take vengeance from me. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put my hand against you. I'm not going to do anything to you. All prophets about this. I'm not going to do any. I'm not going to do anything about it. So he says to Shaul, I'm not going to hurt you. Even though you've done bad things to me, even though you've tried to kill me, I'm not going to hurt you. And it was when David finished speaking these words to Shaul. He says, is this your voice? Says, is this you, David, my son? Shaul started crying. Started crying. You're a more righteous man than me. You've done good to me and I've done bad to you. Right? And they made a deal. And they said that we're not going to try and hurt each other. And they never saw each other again after that day. Shaul was killed in battle. They never saw each other again. Look at the way David Amalek deals with this situation. Not only has he got someone who is after him, he's got the king after him. And he's got a, a powerful man. And Shaul, as we know from, from, the, from, from this book, the book, of, the book of Shmuel, Shaul is a big guy. Shaul is head and shoulders. He's taller than everybody else. He's better looking than everyone else. He's powerful. He's respected. He's the king. The, nobody knows the story that went on with Shmuel and Avi and Agag and, and the fact that he's been rejected by Hashem. Nobody knows that story. Shaul is after him. He wants to kill David. He's worried. He's nervous about, about the outcome. What's going to be with his kingdom? Who's going to be? And he tries to kill him over and over again. And what does David do? David recognizes that Shaul is not living in his right mind. He recognizes this disorder, this psychological disorder that Shaul is having. And he said, I didn't do anything to you. God will judge. 
God judges between you and me. If there's, if there's vengeance to be taken, then it's on Hashem. I'm not going to do anything to you. It's not for me to judge, it's for Hashem to judge. This is an important thing. Because so many times when we when we end up in an argument, and we end up in the forever, how does it how does it happen? It happens when a situation occurs and you don't know all of the details. You don't know. This person never said, never greeted me. This is our us the usual forever. Somebody never greeted me, didn't greet me. But do you know all the details? Maybe their dog just got run over. Hmm? Maybe their wife just left them. Maybe they just got a phone call from someone else who was rude to them and they were very upset. Maybe they dropped their phone in the bath. Maybe they did something, you know, maybe, maybe something went wrong in their day and you've just encountered them in that moment and you don't know how they're feeling. So you shouldn't judge them. And maybe they have a psychological illness. Maybe they're in a, a difficult space and you don't know. So you, if you don't judge people, then you don't end up with an argument. And David Amalek goes to a, a really extreme length in this case. I mean, he's trying to throw spears at him and trying to kill him. <laughs> and uh, he's really bad. But, and he turns around to him and says, listen, I, I want to prove to you. I'll go to this mad extent. I'll sneak into your house and I'll cut your clothes right, to show you that I could do it and I don't want to do it. And I want to be, I want to be good for you. I don't want to kill you. I don't want to have a bad, a bad situation. I want, to, I want Hashem to understand it. I'm going to judge you favorably and I'm going to say, I'm not going to do anything. If there's vengeance to be taken, let God do it. That's not my business. And then what happens then? Shaul realizes that he's acting in an, in an un unreasonable manner. And he starts to cry and he makes a deal with him and they, never, they, 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 they make a deal that they're not going to hurt each other. We didn't get the message the first time. We didn't get the message. We have to be able to deal with other people in a judicious manner. In a manner that we don't judge them. In a manner where we say, you know, we, we judge them favorably. Even if they do really, really bad things to us, we have to say. How, are we gonna, how am I going to be able, myself, on my head, diffuse this situation? Because, and I, I say this to many people, I've said it loads of times, the only things that we can affect are things that we have control over. Only situations we can affect are things we have control over. It's like, you know, about the, but it's about COVID, right? People are like, oh, COVID, there's nothing I can do, right? I, I don't have a miracle cure, I don't have a vaccine, I don't have anything. I can only affect things that I've got control over. I haven't got control over these things. We, we, the, only thing, the only people that we have control over are ourselves. What is our reaction going to be when someone brings argument and, and aggression to us? Do we get upset by it? Or do we say, actually, do you know what? I'm going to stand back and I'm going to let it happen. Because we see, even in an extreme case, it works. And when, we, when, we, when someone is bringing hatred towards us and, and really bringing an argument to us if we repay that with love and with a reasonable response the person who is then being unreasonable sort of realizes it and they snap out of it and they say actually do you know what yeah maybe maybe that's not really the right thing to be done so that's the story of david and Shaul. it's an interesting story and it's a it's a painful story the the, the story of the the kings of israel is always a painful story 
And there's, there's many other arguments that we can have a look at. David Amelech does, certainly does not have a, an easy time of it. He has arguments with Shaul, he has arguments with his wives, he has arguments with his children, and of course his descendants uh, argue in between themselves. There's a split between the kingdoms, uh, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah that happens with David Amalek's grandson, Rehavam, uh, Rehoboam. Uh, we're not going to have a look at those uh, because there are other things which we should also look at. And we're going to look at our second case of the evening. And this is the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Because if you have a look in the Gemara and Yoma, right, the very famous Gemara and Yoma, uh, page 9, it discusses the reasons for the destruction of the temples in Jerusalem. And it differentiates, of course, between the destruction of the first temple and the destruction of the second temple. And why was the first temple destroyed? It's because of the three prevailing cardinal sins, to want of a better description of them, adultery, idolatry, and murder. These were prevalent in the community. And therefore, Hashem said, I'm sorry, you, uh, we're going to destroy the temple. The second way, the second temple was destroyed. Because, says the Gemara, are very famous because of baseless hatred, Sinat Chinam. They hated each other for no reason. Okay, so we have to understand what that is, because it seems to be a destructive thing. The Gemara says this teaches you that hatred is as equal to idolatry, adultery, and murder, which is a very serious accusation. You know, hatred, and baseless hatred in particular. We've discussed baseless hatred, and we had a nice uh, presentation on that on Tisha B'Av. Hatred or baseless hatred, whatever it is, it's not for the, it's not for that discussion. What that is, I want to understand how this is, and in, in order to do that, we have to look at the source and the real genesis of this problem that led to the destruction of the Second Temple, and it actually begins about two hundred years before, and it begins with the Hanukkah story. Now we all think that the Hanukkah story is sweetness and light. Right? Literally, sweetness and light. Right? And we play the dreidel and we, and we eat the donuts and everything is wonderful. Right? Let's talk about the Hanukkah story. So the Hanukkah story itself is not a war against the Greeks. Right? We, it's not a war against the Greeks. It's not a war against the Greeks. It's a civil war. It's an inside the Jewish nation. It's a war. Jews are fighting Jews. Jews who stuck to Judaism are fighting Jews who became idolaters, the Hellenized Jews, Hellas being Greece, the ones who wanted to become like the Greeks. And the year is 167 before the Common Era, literally 200 years before the destruction of the Temple. And the persecution of the Jews by the religious Jews, by the Hellenic Jews, is in full swing. And they call in the Greek troops from Syria, and they turn up in a place called Modi'in, which we all know. If you drive on the highway from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, you see turn off for Modi'in. It's a beautiful place. Now uh, it's, uh, uh, home to a large English-speaking uh, Jewish community from all over the world. I'm sure many Australians as well. There's many South Africans and English people live there. Um, and they, the, they turn up in the square in Modi'in to sacrifice a pig to the Greek gods and they demand that the elder of the town a man called Matityahu who is a Kohen 
He is being told that he wants to do this. Is in the book of Maccabees, by the way. It's trying, the book of Maccabees is an apocryphal book. It's not in the in the actual canon. It's not actually in the, the set of the Tanakh, but it's certainly uh, uh, given a certain historical value. Um, so he refuses. Matisyao refuses. Um, and there's a certain Hellenized Jew, he's identified as a man called Jason, who takes this pig and is about to sacrifice it in the square in Modin. And as he's about to uh, sacrifice this pig, Matityahu takes a knife and kills him, and then goes and kills the Greek fellow who is officiating over the whole thing. Um, and he turns to the uh, he turns to the nation, all the people around in Modin, and he utters the, the immortal phrase, Mi la Hashem Eli, whoever is to God, come to me, which he borrowed from Moshe Rabbeinu uh, when Moshe uh, went and dealt with the people who were doing the golden calf. He said the same phrase, Mi la Hashem Eli, whoever is to God, uh, come, come with me. So many, many Jewish people, the people who are still loyal to Judaism, join up with Matityahu, including his five sons, Yochanan, Shimon, Elazar, Yonatan, and Yehuda, and they call themselves the Maccabees. Uh, Maccabee is an acronym for Mi Kamocha Ba'elim Hashem, right? So now all these uh, sports teams, uh, <laughs> all the sports teams are carrying the name of God on on their uh, on their symbols, and they don't probably don't know. But anyway, Maccabee is also a nickname for the hammer. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, Yehuda and his and his four brothers, and we don't know how large the army was. Optimistic estimates put it at about twelve thousand, um, but it was a small a small army, and it takes on the Syrian Greek army of forty thousand men, and of course we're dealing with professional soldiers. These are Greek professional soldiers, and they have equipment, they have training, they also have a herd of war elephants, as mentioned in the Book of Maccabees. Um, which is, you know, imagine going up, up against a tank these days. An elephant was probably a tank uh, in, in those days. And the Jews are outnumbered, poorly trained, um, no equipment. Um, but, of course, somebody defending his homeland is uh, a very a strong enemy. And especially if those people are defending their homeland from inside a forest that you can't see them. And they invented guerrilla warfare. So guerrilla warfare, I've actually been in that forest, Ben Shemin Forest. Um, in uh, the areas of of uh, of Modin, and you know, imagine the Greeks trying to march their way up that hill, up the Sharagai, up to up to Yerushalayim, and people coming out of Horus and different sides and and getting them. That's that's what it was like. So the the Hanukkah story, we read the, the story of the Maccabees, um, uh, and and we we think that it's you know, oh, it's a, a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of weeks of battles and everything's over. It's actually twenty five years. Right, the, the, all the battles of the Maccabees are twenty-five years. Hanukkah happens after three years of that twenty-five years. After three years, they finally retake Jerusalem from from the Greeks, and of course, they enter the temple, and then we know the story of the Hanukkah story. Um, but they they fight on for a, for another twenty-two years uh, until the Greeks get bored. Um, One hundred and forty-two before the Common Era, um, and the the king of the Greeks at the time is called Demetrius. And he's had enough. He said, this is a waste of time, a waste of men, and a waste of resources. I've had enough. In the 142 before the common era, 25 years after the fight, 
he signs a peace treaty with Shimon ben Matityahu, the last surviving son of, of Matityahu. All the others were killed in battle. Um, so, 142, Shimon Maccabi is the, the king. Now, remember, Matityahu was a Kohen. He was a priest. Shimon sets himself up as the king. Now, we all know that Kohanim are not supposed to be kings. Kings come from the tribes of Judah, or if you're in the, the people of Israel, but this is all tribes of Judah. Kohanim are not supposed to be kings. And he sets himself up as a king. Um, and he starts what is now called the Hasmonean dynasty, the Hashmonaim. And it's a bad idea because his descendants, Shimon was a good guy, but his descendants were not good people. And all that he fought, all those Maccabees fought for, they switched over. And they went over to become Hellenists. They, they, they went over to the dark side. The son of Shimon, a very famous king, was called Yohanan or John Hyrcanus. John Hyrcanus. He was a very powerful and... Uh, ambitious ruler and he conquered various other lands around him including uh, a, gr a group of people called the Edomians from the people of Edom uh, and he forcibly converted these people uh, in there's one very famous Edomian a man called Herod you may have heard of him um, a very unpleasant man but he was a good builder um, you'd want him to do the building work for you be a decent tradie uh, but uh, this is not a very pleasant man um, but yeah, well, that's one of the people. Herod was, is, comes from a forced, forcibly converted family. That was John Hyrcanus's idea. Um, they set up themselves in a place called Bet Guvin Maresha. Um, they, they, they all sorts of all sorts of dreadful things that, that John Hyrcanus got up to. Um, after his, um, after John Hyrcanus, Yochanan Hyrcanus, he dies. He takes over. His son takes over from him, Alexander Yanai. Alexander Yanai takes over from him. A classic case of a Hasmonean leader ruling the nation in the wrong direction. He's a Hellenized person. And this is when we, we, hear, we hear the rise of the people called the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Stukim, following Tzadok, who was a leader, a religious leader who only accepted the written law. And the Prushim, Pharisees, the separate ones, the ones who kept themselves away from this idea. This is the start of the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So when Alexander Yanai is the king, he goes off, of course, he goes with the more Hellenized Pharise uh, Sadducees. And he persecutes the Pharisees, the Prushim. And he takes 800 rabbis and he kills them. And he slaughters their families and he makes them watch. And he has a huge Greek feast, naked people all over the prison. You, know, like you see on those, those pots, pottery jars he has a massive party and they do all they do all of this and then he dies and his wife takes over his wife is a very famous woman shlom tzion shlom tzion queen shlom tzion she has a very nice road in jerusalem um, and she rules from 76 to 67 before the common era and she is actually a very good woman and her brother is the great sage shimon ben shetach and shimon ben shetach she, she shelters him from her husband's murderous things, and he leads the rabbis, and then <laughs> brings, bring, if not for Shimon ben Shetach, then we wouldn't have any Judaism anymore. Um, so, Shlom Tzion has two sons, 
And now here we come into the next problem. She has two sons, Hyrcanus and Aristobulus. Now, both of them are Hellenized, both of them are involved with the Sadducees. Hyrcanus is the weaker of the two. Aristobulus is the stronger one. But Hyrcanus has a very clever assistant called Antipater. Now, Antipater has a son called Herod. But Herod comes later. So these two boys, right, Hyrcanus and Aristobulus, both after their father, Alexandriana, is dead, and their mother, the very powerful Queen Shramtion, is dead, they now both want to be king. So what do they do? I mean, both of them are completely uh, unsuitable to be king. I always say when it comes to positions of leadership, that the desire to be in such a position is an immediate disqualification. <laughs> Certainly, you know, the desire to be the prime minister, the desire to be anything, is is a disqualification immediately uh, from 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 being involved. But anyway, both of them, they're both corrupt, they're power hungry, they're both Hellenized, completely disinterested in anything probably anti-Jewish. So what do they do? They come up these two with the worst possible idea in the history of the jewish nation i think in my opinion they come up i cannot think of a worse idea a worse decision i don't think has ever been made they're fighting they they are what they both want to be the king so what do they do they said what we're going to do is we're going to get an outside party to make the decision as to who is going to be the next king of israel a really bad idea because on the face of it, yeah, probably an independent adjudicator is probably a good thing. But they went to the Romans and said, Romans, why don't you come to Israel? And <laughs> this is beggar's belief. Why don't you come to Israel and, and you can, you know, you can adjudicate as to who should be the king? So the Romans said, all right. And, and uh, Pompey turns up with an army. <laughs> Pompey says, all right, we'll come, and, we'll come and adjudicate your thing. And in 63, before the common era, Pompey turns up. General Pompey uh, is busy cleaning up the, the last of the Greek Empire uh, in, in, in the north, and, in, in the north and, and, and the west. So they send him in and he goes in. turns up with half the, Greek, half the Roman army in, 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 in the land of Israel. He's very happy to turn up and, 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 and adjudicate this thing. And that is how the Romans entered Israel. You really think that the Romans entered in Israel in some sort of invasion force? They came on boats like the Vikings into England and, and, and came with, you know, slaves rowing and drums and all that sort of rubbish. They were invited in. They, invi they invited the Romans in because they couldn't decide which one of these morons should be the king. And then, of course, the Romans took over and killed most of the Jews and destroyed the temple and exiled everybody all over the world and yeah still still we remain in exile today that is their fault these two idiots it comes from the beginning all the way back to the story of hanukkah and and and, and how we end up in a hair so the jewish present the jewish reaction to the presence of the romans is a is is disastrous because on one side you've got the hellenized assimilated jews who are completely non-jewish or the jewish in, in you know jewish by genes but they don't keep anything they're not doing brick me they're not keeping cash they're not keeping anything they're just they're just there and they welcome the roman presence and they profited by it 
and they're angry with all the other Jews who are resisting Roman uh, d domination. Then you've got the Sadducees, who are the very wealthy Jews who uh, d they, they only go on with the, the, the written Torah and they dominated and corrupted the temple service, and they're running all of that sort of idea. They cooperate with the Romans to some extent, but they're against them in another way. And they see the Jewish factions as troublemakers. Then you've got the Pharisees. We're going more to the right. Then you've got the Pharisees, who observe the oral tradition. Mainstream Jews didn't want anything to do with the Romans, because the Romans are, are idolaters, and they're in our land causing us trouble. But more pragmatic, they want Judaism to survive. So, so what? If they're here, they're here, and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll go about our business and do our things. Um, and they disapproved of the other factions who were trying to curry favour with the Romans, and and... Uh, trying, uh, uh, they tr trying to assimilate, and then you've got the zealots who are like Pharisees on steroids, and and they they say, well, we don't like the Romans, and we don't like anybody, and we're going to kill any anybody who comes against us. And they had a group amongst them. Amongst them, there's a faction called the Sicarii who used to carry daggers and stab people in the back and and murder each other and murder political opponents. So they were very angry with the Romans. And anyone who wasn't opposed to the Romans to such an extent that they were was always considered an enemy. Then there's a people called the Birionim, who were just uh, general louts and, uh, and, and criminals who were taking advantage of the, op of the position. You know, there's always, you know, when you see a riot, right? There's a lot of people who have, have re reason to riot. You know, they've got reason to have, have a protest about something. And then you've got the general uh, miscreants and ne'er-do-wells who, uh, who, who, who were looking for a fight. And, oh, there's a fight. Oh, yes, I'm an, I'm a, yes, there's a fight. And away they go. So that's the Birionim. They take advantage. Why not? We can throw some rocks at people. Fancy throwing rocks. Don't care why. We'll throw rocks. That's the Birionim. And then you've got the weird people, right? <laughs> then you've got the, the you know, the, the Meshuggahners. You've got the people like the Essenes. You heard of the Essenes? They wrote the ones who write the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? The ones who, who moved off and they said, we don't like any of you, you're all mad. And, and, and everybody else is crazy apart from us and we're going to go and live in a cave. And they went and lived in the cave and, and they, they wrote their own, their own version of the Torah and the laws. Um, they, they were very uh, uh, limiting, uh, limiting sect because they were celibate. And so therefore, <laughs> it doesn't really, uh, <laughs> it doesn't set you up for, for, for longevity celibacy for, for, for many generations in advance. So that didn't really help. So they, didn't, they, they sort of disappeared. And there's a weird, other weird uh, splinter sects, um, you know, going off and contemplating the end of days and, and, and all sorts of things and waiting for these things. And there's about 25 different factions of these, of these people all living in, in this, 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 you know, this morass of, people in in jerusalem everybody's fighting and who knows who's who you're not sort of walking around in uniform oh they've got the romans here and you've got these ones and that ones and, and and everybody's arguing with each other and what happened was there was infighting they hated each other and there was no reason really to hate each other they just they just did because they were different they hated each other because they were different and uh, you know that's always always been a problem that's a problem in the world it's not just a problem uh, in Judaism, you know, one of the, one of the my favourite uh, movies from from my youth is uh, hmm? not the Life of Brian. No, uh, although that is it is a very good, <laughs> that is a very good movie. Um, um, no, it's not. It's not. It's Cool Runnings. You seen Cool Runnings? The Jamaican bobsled team. Yeah, Cool Runnings. Yeah, we used to watch it all the time. It's one of our favourite movies as a kid. And in one of the things, you know, when the the Jamaican bobsled team is is being excluded from from the Winter Olympics.
And the, one of them asked the other one, you know, why, why do they hate us? And he says, because we're different. And people are always afraid of what's different. And, and I think that's, a, I think that's a, very, a very serious thing. A very serious thing. And in this case, in this case, it was absolutely destructive for the Jewish people. You know, uh, there was a very famous uh, Jewish person who lived around that time called Ben Kalba Savua, right? Who, uh, he was the father-in-law of Rabbi Akiva. Uh, anyway, he was incredibly wealthy. He was the wealthiest person in Jerusalem. And it is said that he had storehouses full of grain in Jerusalem that could have fed the entire, the entire population for, for years to come. And they could have sat out the siege of Jerusalem. Vespasian would have got bored. Or Titus, when Vespasian got called back to be the emperor, Titus got bored. He would have got bored. They got bored. And they would have sat out the siege of Jerusalem. They had as much food as they want. They had springs inside Jerusalem, the Shalach Spring. There's water coming in all the time. They, they would, had no problem. What happened? The, the zealots and the Sicarii burnt down the storehouses of Ben Kalba Savua in order to, to, to provoke the more peaceful people into fighting against the Romans. And that's how we lost the temple. It's a literal manifestation of, of baseless hatred, of hatred for, well, they're not like us, so we want to we make them more like us. And it destroyed the temple. And I think there's a, a proper lesson to learn from that as well. You know, we're not immune from baseless hatred ourselves you know i mean even even you know forget being religious not religious safadi ashkenazi you know this shul that shul you know this is a famous joke about them the man who gets marooned on a desert island and they pick him up yeah and they find and so he's built two shuls he says why has he built two shuls because he's got got to have one that he doesn't go to <laughs> you know i wouldn't be seen dead in that shul you know <laughs> you know it, and it's, but it's so sad it's just it's so stupid and it's it, 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 it's so self-defeating because you lose out on, on, on the richness of your of your Jewish experience by not interacting with people who are not like you. And I'm not just saying that as, as you know, as, but I, I talk to anyone, you know, I'll have a beer with anyone. I'll, have to, I'll talk to anybody, not because they're the same as me. I want to talk to people who are not the same as me, because I think it's so important that we get the the we enrich our lives and our and our our Judaism by hearing about other people's experiences of it you know we make we make jokes in the shiurim about uh, heresy and, and, and things like that but it's 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 so important that we get different perspectives from different people and that's that's really the cure to to uh I was talking to my dad about this a couple of years ago. He's going to listen to this podcast, so uh, we can we can name check him. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to him about. He was talking to me about this, uh, the idea of having one nusach, right? One one tradition of prayer. We should have nusach achid, right? We should have a universal standard of prayer where the, everybody prays the same thing. Wherever you go in the world, you should pray the same thing. And and I can see where they're coming from with it. You know, it'd be convenient, right? The everyone would have the same siddur, right? There would be no nusachari, there would be no this. I said, but you know what? I said, I said, I think that you would lose something from that with like this homogenous 
idea of Judaism because you lose the experience of the Yemenite Jews and you lose the experience of the Eastern European Jews and the, the what, Egyptian, whatever whatever you are today. Uh, well, the Italian Jews, Nusach Italkit, the, the Italian Nusach is beautiful and it's a, a unique type of prayer and unique uh, models and the people of Iraq and the people of Persia and the people of, of India and all these beautiful things that people have got and that we now, because of the modern state of Israel and because of the fact that we can travel around the world and interact with Jewish communities from everywhere, that we are able to, to gain from other people's experience. I wouldn't want that to disappear. Because, and I, and I think that, you know, we should, yeah, there should be Taimani Jews, and there should be Iraqi Jews, and there should be Ashkenazi Jews, and there should be Jews from Germany and, and Lithuania, and, and we make jokes about Hungarians, but it's fine, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, we have to be able to appreciate everyone else's experience and the things that they can contribute to our lives and the things that we can contribute to their lives. And that really undoes a lot of all of these horrible things. But if we look at the, we can analyze the, the development of Sinat Chinam, it was very much a selfish, self-serving thing. My experience is better than yours. My opinion is better than yours. So therefore, I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, persecute you, and then I'm going to ruin everybody else's day by doing, by doing what I do, and then undermining the whole Judaism. And then, we get, yeah, the temple gets destroyed. And we invite these idiots in in the first place. We invite these... I mean, you just beggars belief. And we're our own worst enemy. And I think we're able to undo a lot of this stuff by just being open to experience. By people being open-minded, open, open -minded, not just thinking that, oh, well, whatever I do is the right thing. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe someone has got something beautiful, a beautiful way of, of, of expressing their Judaism that you haven't thought of. And that, that you're able to incorporate into your own practice and therefore enrich your own experience. So... I think these two examples are important examples, um, important things, and we should take the lessons from them. Deal with people in, in, in a way that calms them down, especially if they're, even if you're right. And you, you know, don't judge people. Don't judge people until you've got all the, all the information, and you're never going to have all the information, so don't judge people. And the other thing is, you should be open to experience, open to other people's points of view, and open to, to, to learning new things, and maybe, maybe, realize that maybe you don't have all the answers maybe you've got some of them but you don't have them all and that will enhance your judaism and your life in, in an immeasurable way so thank you very much and we'll see you again next week yeah.